Hello and welcome to another episode of the Patriot Preacher Podcast. My name is Dan Fraley and I'm with the Mouth of Joe's Creek Church of Christ. You can find us at 5230 State Highway 194 West, Pikeville, Kentucky. 41501 is our address or you can reach out to me at area code 423-707-4178. You can call me, message me, or text me. I promise I will try to do the best that I can to get back in touch with you. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Listening to our podcast, you can find the podcast at Patriot Preacher Podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So thank you guys for tuning in. Today we have a very special episode. I'm here with Drew Leonard. Uh, Drew, why don't you tell them about yourself? Drew is a preacher at the Church of, uh, Cherokee Church of Christ in Johnson City, Tennessee. Drew? Uh, so just a very quick introduction. Uh, I've been at the Cherokee Church of Christ for uh, cl- close to four years now. I uh, have a wife named Hannah, a little boy named Spencer, and uh, we really just enjoy Bible study, and we love the work that God's uh, let us have. So. I'm, uh, as I said, I'm thankful to be here with Drew. I went to school with Drew, and uh, for me, that is a tremendous compliment. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing Bible, more or less, uh, you know, but I want to talk a little bit about Drew's book as well. Uh, Drew has written several books. Drew, why don't you tell, I don't have a list of your books because there's so many, but tell them a little bit about your books. Okay. Um, so the first book I wrote was just a commentary on the book of Daniel, and it's still available, and uh, really along the same lines of, I guess, what we're going to be talking about today. I've got a commentary on the book of Revelation. Uh, I've got a couple of books. One is called Essays in Intertextuality, and it's on how to read the Old Testament prophets and then basically how the New Testament makes use of those prophets, um, which is all over the New Testament. Another book that I did was called The Composition of Isaiah. Uh, I've got a book on what's called the AD 70 theology, and uh, it's called AD 70, Taking a Look at Hyperpreterism. And then I think I've got a, uh, there's a debate book where I had a debate with an individual up in Michigan, and that's in print. It's not just my writing, though. It's a two-sided thing. And then I've also got a book that came out here not too long ago. It's a littler, uh, smaller book on the book of Acts. And it's something like a commentary. It's not exactly a full-blown commentary, but it's, uh, I think it's more suited for just the average reader. And then this latest one that uh, we've got with us today is called A New Heavens and New Earth, and it is academic to the core. So uh, Yeah, so this is why I wanted to talk about this particular book. I've got to talk about uh, real quick what happened to me in eastern Kentucky. Yes, yes. <laughs> And so uh, a guy was there, and he was teaching on uh, premillennialism, which we know is a false doctrine. Uh, but the way he presented it uh, was as if we have the choice. Yeah. We have the choice when we are going to be raptured. And, and basically what he said was, well, if you believe in a pre-trib rapture, you know, you'll be raptured pre-tribulation. If you believe in a mid-trib rapture, uh, he goes so far as to say, well, I'll already be raptured, but if you believe in a pre-trib or a mid-trib rapture, I'll be there to greet you at mid-tribulation when you get raptured. Yeah, and so he and of course post-trib rapture, and so a lot of this uh, talking about a new heavens and a new earth uh, comes out of Revelation chapter twenty-one, and I'm just going to read the verses, and then I'm going to let you talk about it. Okay, okay, is that okay? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay, so Revelation twenty-one says. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And he says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared 
as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this sounds a lot like figurative language. Yes. A lot of people try to make this literal language. So, Drew, do you care to expound on this a little bit? Uh, so that's going to take me a little bit of time, but yes, I'll definitely do it. Uh, the first thing I would insist, and this kind of goes back to your discussion with the fellow about the tribulation, uh, keeping the Bible in its context is imperative. Um, for instance, an illustration, maybe a crude illustration, but one that I think is very pertinent, uh, is if I say, that is black, and I point across the room and I point at this table, it would be out of context even though it may be a right statement for you to say that I'm talking about the television, which is also black, if I intend that remark to be about the table, which is black, it would be out of context for you to take my remark and fit it to, the, to a discussion about the television set. To something that it doesn't apply to. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so keeping the Bible in context, I know that's a very basic illustration, but the point is the same. The Bible has to be kept in its context. So, for instance... It would be wrong for me to take something out of the Old Testament and try to say, oh, well, this speaks about Christian baptism, or this speaks about the Lord's Supper. If it's in the Old Testament, it just simply doesn't. It's just not in that, in, in that context. Well, the book of Revelation is the same kind of way, and getting back to this discussion about a tribulation as well, the individual who's talking about the tribulation, I would like to ask him, which tribulation, which text are you talking about? Which one do you have in mind? There are three major ones that I'm thinking he's probably got in mind. He's probably got one in view from the book of Daniel, uh, where there's a tribulation that's talked about in Daniel 12.1. It says there will be a time of trouble such as never was nor ever will be. That's Daniel 12.1. The other one that I'm thinking he might have in view as a specific text would be Matthew 24 and verse 21, where it says then will be great tribulation. Uh, that's Matthew 24. And then the third that he might reference is the book of Revelation, and it references the Great Tribulation uh, in Revelation 7, 13, and 14. So you've got three different big texts that I think this individual's probably got in his mind. Now, he may not even know that he's grabbing at one of those three or maybe even all three of those, but he's been taught this. He's learned this from somewhere, and what he's doing, it seems to me, is he's conflating all of these different passages into one end-time event. And that's very interesting because I'm convinced that if we keep the Bible in its context, I'm convinced that Daniel 12, Matthew 24, and Revelation, all three, none of those texts have anything to do with an end-of-time event that's yet in our future. Right, yeah, and I agree with that 100%. Uh, if I was going to say what Matthew 24 was actually dealing with, uh, you look at Matthew 24... And I want to go there and, yes, and, definitely. and read some passages here just to kind of make sure that we're uh, talking about this particular tribulation and not an end-of-time tribulation. So Matthew 24, and, and what he does, uh, what, the, what the gentleman does, I'm not going to say, uh, say his name or anything because I don't even know if he'll ever watch it. He wasn't even from the area. He was yes, a sir. guest speaker at a, at a place. But anyway... If you look at Matthew 24, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another, and there shall that, that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? 
and when shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the end of the world? So it just seems to me uh, that Matthew 24 is answering those questions. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. One of the things you'll see, all three of the um, synoptic gospels, and the word synoptic just means the same, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those include a version of Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And there are two questions that come up in every single recording of that discourse. In Matthew 24, in Mark 13, and in Luke 21, these two questions are consistently asked. When and what? When and what? So look at this again in Matthew 24, 3. Tell us when will these things happen. Tell us what will be the sign of your coming. Now the when question is a very interesting one. Most people take a lot of this and say, this is talking about the end of time. This is talking about something in our future. But that's very interesting because Christ had already opened the discourse to some extent in Matthew 23, 36, and said, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Uh, I, most people agree that the generation is 40 years. So if Jesus is saying it's within 40 years, it looks like to me the fall of Jerusalem is more suited as being the context of this discussion than something at the end of time. And, and he says something more or less than that. And uh, 24.2, he said, do you not see all these things? He's sitting at the temple mount. He's gesturing at the temple building. So says 24.1. He says, truly, I said, you not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Everything in the discussion seems to me to be A.D. 70 with the fall of Jerusalem. So then in 24.34 as well, he closes this section of the discourse off and says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Once again, you have him saying that whatever he's talking about, the when question that's been asked is answered as this is going to happen in our lifetime. And right. that's what Jesus said in his own lifetime. So that's very interesting. So he has the what and the when answered here. Yes. Now, for people who think that he's talking about the end of time here, are there texts in the Bible, um, I, I think of Second Peter chapter 3, Yes. Uh, but are there texts in the Bible that lets us know that this is different than the end of time? Uh, so that's a really good question. Um, again, I would have to argue that what we'll need to do is we'll need to evaluate context. Right. So there may not be a text where Paul comes out and says, oh, I'm speaking differently than our Lord did in Matthew 24. Right. <laughs> but what he will do is he's going to establish a context which says this is an end of time discussion. Yes, And so based on my reading of the context, I think that 1 Corinthians 15 with the bodily resurrection yes. certainly looks like an end-of-time event that's yet in our future. So you're talking about 1 Corinthians 15 beginning around 37 or 38? Or? Y yes, the whole discussion. So l let's jump over there for just a moment, then yes. and we'll talk about some of that. Um, and I promise you, Dan, I'm not trying to dodge the Revelation 21 question. <laughs> no, I know. I, I, I just got off on a tangent <laughs> yeah, here about this because I'm interested fine. in this. So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so this is 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, he starts in 15, 1 through 12 to talk about, you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus. And then he predicates his discussion on the resurrection upon that. And so he says in 15, 12 through 20, if Jesus didn't rise... Well, what does that mean for you and me? Oh, the it looks tragic. And so he says then in 1520, Christ has been raised, and he is what's called the first fruit, meaning he's pictured as being the one out front who is the cause. He's the leader of the pack in the resurrection event. Yeah, let, let me read some of these verses. Yeah, here. definitely. Go I ahead. I want to read 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. 
And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20, where it says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And then he goes into this this despair of if that's not true, if Christ is not risen. And then he gets to verse 20 where he says, But now is Christ risen? And he says, From the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And so this is talking about, of course, uh, Christ's resurrection, and he's comparing it to yes. what it means for the rest of us, right? Yes, that is okay. exactly right. So then, like, right, you brought up um, about verse 37. Yeah, as, as the context develops down in verse 35, somebody would ask, Well, how, do the, how are the dead raised? And from that point forward in the discussion, he answers the question of this is what the resurrected body will look like. Now, I want to point out one passage here. This is 1523. But each man in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, and then here's the timing of all of this. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. So the event that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, it's at Christ's second coming. So we have the second coming of Christ and the bodily resurrection, they're joined together. They're not separated. When Christ comes back the second time, that's when the resurrection happens. Okay, the resurrection of the body. Yes, that is correct. Okay, so from there we can go to, well, where does the Spirit go in the meantime? Good question, good <laughs> question. Uh, some of this is a little bit, um, oh, let's use the word, I suppose, uh, questionable. What I'm about to say is a little bit questionable. Um, there is the text in Luke 16 with the rich man and Lazarus, and it presents the great gulf that is fixed. And it says that the rich man was caught into, the King James Version says, torments, um, Hades. And uh, the, the King James Version says about um, Lazarus going to Abraham's bosom, as it's called. Right. We have typically, and I think this is probably right, uh, we've typically said then at this point, point in time, if I were to die right now, I would either go to Hades, which we've used to demonstrate like a pre-state to hell, or to paradise, which is something of a pre-state before heaven. Right. And I think that's probably right. There are a couple of passages, Philippians 1, where Paul says he longs to be with Christ. That's a little bit tricky. There's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which says that the dead people will be caught up in the air and meet Christ in the air to go to heaven. So wherever they are right now, it's not heaven, but it, we're in some kind of waiting state before heaven or hell is what I'd, I would think. Yeah, that's what I would think too, and I think that's the general consensus. But you brought up a verse that brings me <laughs> back to Revelation 21, okay. uh, new heavens and a new earth, because this is what uh, premillennialists believe. And yes, let's go look yes. at First Thessalonians. Uh, okay. That's where we were going. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Yes. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 17. Because this is where they get the rapture from. Okay, yes, sir. Uh, the, the phrase called up. And so called up is not the same as being snatched away. And this is where I think they fall apart. Well, many other places they fall apart. But I want to read these texts. Definitely. And then I'll, I'll let you explain a little bit about them. But it says here, it says, But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven 
with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught in a tribulation. No, that's not what it says. It says, Remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we for uh, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so I think there's a lot in this text that people could misconstrue into a, well, what, what has morphed into a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture. Yes. And so could you talk a little bit about this? Definitely. And that's where either way you go with this, some people want to say that the rapture is going to precede the thousand-year reign is how the theory goes. That's the theory. Uh, others will say that the rapture comes at the end of it. Well, that's really all insignificant as far as I can tell, and here's why. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the text you just read, you've got the people who are asleep, and they're going to meet the Lord in the air, and it says that this is going to happen at the coming of Christ. So says verse 15. This right. is going to happen at the coming of the Lord. Well, that's very interesting to me because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, We've already read that the second coming is when the bodily resurrection happens. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51 and 52. He says, Brethren, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we will all be changed so that our existence is suited for the next world, a spiritual world. And so he says in 1552, catch this. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So you've got the second coming, the bodily resurrection, the catching up from 1 Thessalonians 4, and the last trumpet all in this one climactic event. It's not to be separated by a thousand years where we've got the rapture, the catching up, spaced out by a thousand years and then the second coming. That's not going to fly. All of this has to happen at one time. So says Paul in two different texts. If we take Paul at his own words in both 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's just simply no way to separate the rapture as it's termed from what's happening at the end of time. The catching up in 1 Thessalonians 4 is the end of time event. It is the end of time event. There's no separation. So that leads me to the next question. Yes. I'm sorry about this. No, so, no, no, no. Uh, this is what we do here. We're trying to get to the bottom of it, trying to discover the truth, and it looks like we may be running a little low on time, so we definitely <laughs> will pick this up in the next uh, in the next session of discussion. But I want to ask about what James, cha- or not James, John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. And, and so the basic the question is this. Did Jesus, Peter, and Paul teach different things concerning this? Very good question. Very good so, well, let's look at this. That's John five twenty eight and 29. And there's an interesting argument I'm going to pick up earlier on in five twenty four and 25. At least I think it's five twenty four. It may just be five twenty five. But this is John chapter 5. Um, yeah, I'll read 24 as well. Let me just grab this uh, and read through 29. Five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. This is 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is. That's an interesting line there. Uh, And now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now I'm going to drop down to 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, 
in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. You'll see, interestingly, that in 525, you've got this line where it says, The hour is coming and now is. And he's speaking there of a spiritual resurrection that happens to the believer. So something like Romans 6, 3 and 4, where it says you'll arise to walk in newness of life, that's a resurrection in baptism, a resurrection from death, death to sin. But it's a different kind. In John 5, 28 and 29, he's talking about the physical bodily resurrection. Now, this is interesting. He sees two different categories. Look at this again. This is John 5, 28. Don't marvel at this. An hour is coming. This is 529. Those who did good will resurrect to life. Those who did evil, a resurrection of judgment. What we have in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is only one side of the coin. You only have Paul discussing the resurrection of the just, and he never discusses the resurrection of the unjust. So no, Paul and Peter and the rest are not at odds with Jesus. They're only talking about one side of the issue. They're leaving the discussion of the resurrection of the unjust out of the discussion entirely. And Jesus actually includes the resurrection of the unjust and what they're going to face. That's and right. And so he does this in several places in Matthew chapter 25 when they're going to be separated, the sheep from the goats and all of this. And so, uh, Drew, I want to thank you for your time today. Well, uh, thanks we, for having we, me, we've, we've covered a, little, a lot here in a little bit, <laughs> and so a little bit of time. Yes. And so, uh, once again, my name is Dan Fraley, and you can find me at the mouth of Joe's Creek Church of Christ. Uh, we are right now currently at the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development. I forgot to mention them. Uh, this, is, this is who is making this possible for us, us making these videos and putting them on YouTube and hopefully TV soon. And so uh, we're at the Tri-City School of Preaching at the Stony Creek Church of Christ. I'm Dan Fraley. I'm with the Mouth of Joe's Creek Church of Christ. I'm with Drew Leonard. He is at the Cherokee Church of Christ. And so, uh, basically, we just like studying the Bible, studying the Word of God. We want to bring the gospel to the entire world, which is why we do what we do. We write books. Uh, Drew has written several books. We do this so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And this is what we're trying to do. Yes, and so I want to thank you guys for being with us. Be sure to tune in and stay with the discussion as we'll be coming back in just a moment. Thank you.